Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but I got to put all this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even though I am distinctly not thrilled about the setup here, can I just say that it does not make all that much sense for our stock market to be down as hard as it was today off of weakness in China, even as I've repeatedly said that China is a shadow of its former self. The Dow closed down 361 points. S&P lost 1.16%. Nasdaq tumbled 1.14%. And the primary culprit was not the bond market. Jeez, I heard that all day. It was some incredibly weak Chinese economic data overnight. Now, let me ask you, I'm not not ignoring the ongoing collapse of gigantic corporations and trust in China. But do we really believe China should be super important to our stock market these days when the U.S., frankly, is in ascendance and they're teetering? I think that China's hurting. And it will spill over to other countries for sure, but not as drastically as some would think. A big reason why China's weak is that we were the marginal hiring machine for the country because we depended on so, them for so many cheap goods. We still, by the way, import tons of stuff from there, but it is flattening out. What's more important is U.S. divestment from China, whether you hate him or love him. President Trump made it a priority to funnel investments away from China while slamming their goods with tariffs. And the Biden administration is actually doubling down by making technology the restricted goods, which might have a far greater impact on the progress in the future. The fact that the Chinese government decided to stop giving out numbers on youth unemployment this morning was jarring. And it may mark the beginning of a blackout of bad numbers, because that's what authoritarian regimes do when business isn't going their way. So, again, even as I don't want to ignore the pending collapse of some major important Chinese financial entities and real estate entities, I find it odd that our markets become this hostage to China. Think about it. This morning at 4 a.m., Europe was already trading down off the weakness in China. More reasonable given the quarter of their exports go to the PRC. Then the U.S. market followed suit almost exactly. I have to question that because we don't have that kind of affiliation. And our institutions and consumers are so much stronger than those of Europe or, of course, China. Sure, we do have big companies with lots of exposure. You know what they are, Apple, Starbucks, Nike. But beyond that, not many American companies are going on all cylinders in the China, with China. And investors here do own a lot of Chinese stocks and bonds. They do it in a lot of different trusts in a lot of different ways, but not enough to take a stand, which is why I think it's so ridiculous to sell our stocks off of Chinese weakness. And I say this as someone who's not super bullish right now. 
I do think we need to abide by the work of Larry Williams, that great market historian. He came here and told us to counsel. Remember the P word? He said patience for the month of August. But man, when it's down like this and the oscillator we follow goes nicely into negative territory, it makes us want to pick at some stocks for the charitable trust, as we did today, small and on the way down. Nothing aggressive because we don't think the sell-off is necessarily done. Now, I don't want to give away any of our moves. They'll be chronicled at our members-only club meeting on Thursday at noon. Club members will be angry at me. But I will say that our MO is always the same in the investing club. We buy stocks of broad, long-lasting themes uh, we know are working for our day-to-day reflections and our homework. May not turn around immediately. But what I think you need to know is you buy thematically, then you can buy bigger on the way down. First theme is infrastructure. Now, we know that our government is spending more than a trillion dollars trying to make everything better environmentally while fixing our roads, bridges, and tunnels. I love the infrastructure theme here, China or not. That's the chief reason why the trust owns Caterpillar, which had a big run down lots, lot, very big today, though. Same goes for Newcore, the biggest steel company in America, which also has a very thick order book. Sterling Infrastructure, I profiled them last night. They should do quite well with all this infrastructure spend. And then I can say the same thing about Jacob Solutions and Mastec. Now, don't forget all the money earmarked for clean heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, particularly for our schools. And that means carrier. I buy these stocks on any China-related dip because they have almost nothing to do with China. The second big theme is aerospace. Incredible trend here. We're seeing such a shortage of planes that anything connected with aerospace should be a winner. Here I'm talking about Boeing, GE, or Honeywell. We bought some Honeywell for the Travel Trust this morning. And no, I don't believe the tourism boom is over. I think it will remain in place as long as people are long on money and short on time. Common theme of the traveler right now coming out of COVID. Chinese woes will not stop the travel. Third theme, if anyone thinks that our drug companies are connected to China and therefore their stocks are going to get hurt because of China, I think that's frankly insane. I like Amgen because of its breakthrough in any cholesterol drug repatha. By the way, that thing is selling incredibly well from that last quarter. And, of course, I like Eli Lilly because of its incredible diabetes drug, Monjaro, uh, that I believe will be approved soon for obesity. I bet it could be the greatest selling drug of all time. Fourth, housing isn't stoppable either. I like that Warren Buffett just endorsed Lennar and D.R. Horton. Although he's a bit late, I thought Home Depot's numbers were just fine, thank you. And the stock would have been up even more if China hadn't colored the whole tape today. Remember, they have no stores in China. I do wish Buffett had bought Toll Brothers along with the other home builders because Toll's doing as good or better than the others. And they're the only publicly traded high-end home builder. That makes their product very scarce. The incredible thing about the home builders is that their gross margins keep getting better now that supply chain problems have been solved. The fact that they haven't really been hurt by higher mortgage rates yet is astonishing, isn't it? More on that later. Fifth theme, I think it's tech that makes the most sense to buy here because it's always been right to buy tech off of Chinese weakness, even when China has been teetering. And we've seen this before many times. Does anybody believe a slowing Chinese economy has any impact on artificial intelligence? China's still desperate to get their hands on NVIDIA chips in order to build their own competing stores, their their own competing systems. They want to build supercomputer. You need NVIDIA chips to build one. And I gave you my wrap on NVIDIA last night. I own it, don't trade it. I'm sure there are plenty of traders in it, though. I don't want you to be one of them because the long-term future of AI depends almost solely on NVIDIA. It's worth learning for the long haul, regardless of what the quarter is. Amazon, Alphabet, Meta aren't even connected with China either. In fact, some of them aren't even allowed to do business there. So they're all good places to go. Amazon had an amazing quarter. I think they'll be the first of many as they re-rationalize your distribution network post-COVID. Alphabet, I expect to crush it with both the cloud and the NFL Sunday ticket, which I think people are going to just stream direct TV from to the stream of, yes, YouTube. Meanwhile, Meta is the best investment out there for advertisers, though Amazon and Alphabet come pretty darn close. Gross margins and earnings leverage are huge. 
Now, you might say, how do these stocks jive with the Fed, which was the other conflicting theme about why people thought the market was going down? Well, I come back and say these are themes that have been withstanding the Fed pressure and can continue to do so. Now, I know housing seems hostage to interest rates, but it's escaped from the hostage situation in the past year. Home shortage is strong enough to trump almost anything. Economy is cruising. I think the home builders can still rally. I didn't include the financials because they've become too problematic, too much regulatory worry. I didn't include Apple, even though I think it's terrific, simply because I want to own it and not trade it. And I don't think you're necessarily getting the best entry point here uh, because the negative Chinese press isn't going to go away anytime soon. I expect more people to say negative things about China. But the bottom line, if you have some cash ready, as I've repeatedly advised, as we've raised cash, raised cash, raised cash, it's precisely because of days like today, maybe tomorrow where the market gets hit on something with little relation to our economy, but is important, and there's no denying that. You can apply your cash lightly here, then buy more as we go lower to these themes, because the situations tend to last for more than a day or two, and the themes last for ages. So be prepared for pain. Just know that the, house of pain. the pain can be a buying opportunity as long as you know what to buy and can buy slowly, in stages, on the way down, as we do for the trust, and tell you before we do, every day of the week. Rebecca in Florida. Rebecca. Booyah, Jimmy Till. Thanks Booyah, for all your hard work. I was just wondering, with inflation rates continuing to cycle and change, is Target a better buy over Walmart, both in the short-term and long-term perspective? Okay, so Target reports tomorrow. And one of the things that I've done over that we've been on this show for 18 years is I've stopped playing the game of what's it going to do tomorrow. I think that's a dangerous game. I happen to like the company Target very, very much, and I think that matters. And has a 3.5% yield. But I don't know what it's going to report. There are always these traders in and out. They're going to shoot the stock down. Maybe we take a look at it after they report. We listen to the conference call. How about Trey in Texas? Trey. Jim, I interviewed for a job today, and when asked to describe my leadership experience, I said I lead a guild of over 300 people on World of Warcraft. The search continues, but I will say this. There aren't many Fortune 500 CEOs who can do what I do. And honestly, delivering for Papa John's probably wasn't a good fit for me anyway. My question is, does the stock fit in my portfolio? Wow, the 300. I used to think of them as spots. Um, okay, so long, you know, look, I happen to like Papa John's. Uh, but I've got to tell you, I thought the Domino's reported a good quarter. And I think Yum! is the slow and steady win the race in the group. Now, if you have some cash ready, as I've repeatedly advised, as I said, sell and sell and sell and raise cash and raise cash. It's precisely for days like today when the market gets hit on something with little real relation to our economy, even if it is a bad thing. And you know I think China's in a lot of trouble. Well, man, money today. Subscribers to the CNBC Investing Club know we've become a fan of oil and natural gas producer Kotara. But after the company reported a good quarter last week, do we need to hear more? Don't miss my exclusive with the company CEO. Then with mortgage rates inching over 7% and home builder sentiment failing, what should you make of a company that should be right in the crosshairs of the bears, builders for a source? Um, building a case for the stock and sharing what you need to know. Norfolk Southern wasn't initially hit after reporting a top bottom line miss, but boy, falling 12 of the 14 last trading sessions? What the heck is going on here? I'm digging into stories uh, with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The energy stocks have spent the last couple of months on a roll. So what do we do? What do we make of them here? I mean, take Kotera, CTRA. That's the independent oil and gas producer we own for the Chapel Trust. When Kotera reported a little over a week ago, I thought the results were solid. Company delivered better than expected production, better than expected earnings, and inline distributable cash flow. I like that. Since then, the stock's been roughly flat, although you could consider that a win, given the fact that the market's down 2% over the same period. So should we keep sticking with this one going forward? Let's obviously rhetorical question. Let's take a closer look with Tom Jordan. He's the chairman and CEO of Kotara to learn more. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to Bad Buddy. Hi, Jim. Glad to be here. All right, so Tom, I'm going to break form. I'm going to go to page 19 of your most recent deck. And on that, I see that you have a dramatically lower upstream segment greenhouse gas emission. I mean, dramatically lower than the average. And you also manage your emissions by, yes, tying executive compensation to emission reductions metric. How do you do it? Why do you do it? And what does it mean? Jim, we have a dedicated organization, people that are really focused on this. They know it's the challenge of our time. We have some great engineers, and it's our top engineering challenge. We put our compensation systems to work, motivating people. But mostly we have creativity, we have innovation, and a shared commitment throughout the organization to lower our emissions, identify our emissions, and achieve greater than compliance, but really push the envelope on, on getting us as low as we can to deliver the cleanest molecule we can. 
I think that's terrific because in the end, I think what's going to happen is these big money managers are actually going to look at this and they're going to buy your stock and not someone they, who doesn't do that. And our, to our viewers, it's very important that they make money, but they also want to be good corporate citizens like you. Now, you have uh, done some things engineering wise, too, that, that are extraordinary. Something that popped immediately is that you have three mile laterals. That is almost a the eighth wonder of the world. Can you explain how you're able to do that and what does it mean for your production? Well, it, it allows for great efficiencies. You know, the most expensive part of your hole is the vertical hole and the facilities that sit on the surface. Once you turn a well and go horizontal, the longer you can extend that horizontal leg, the greater you're leveraging that facilities investment and the surface hole. So it really allows greater capital efficiency. I'll say it doesn't work everywhere. It's kind of basin by basin, formation by formation. There are places where the risk doesn't really measure up against the reward. But for an overwhelming part of our assets, where we can, we're really finding three-mile horizontal wells to be a real uplift in our productivity and profitability. Extraordinary engineering feat. Now, when I saw you last, uh, natural gas was very, very low, and uh, oil was higher, and I asked you, why, why are you still in natural gas? Sure enough, natural you said, don't chase. If you chase, you're right. always wrong. Since then, natural gas has had a remarkable move up. What does it mean for a company like, like, like yours to have that discipline not to chase and then get rewarded by a higher price that really nobody was thinking could happen? Jim, the, the, the art of discipline is knowing what you don't know. And uh, being consistent with what you can control and really focusing on being good at the business. We can't control commodity prices, nor can we predict them. In fact, if there are people out there that can predict them, I haven't met them yet. (laughs) And so the approach we take to the business is to have a balanced portfolio, build the portfolio so that we have steady cash flow, regardless of where oil and natural gas cycle, and then stay the course But one last thing, Jim, be prepared to pivot and adapt. So we don't like to sign long-term contracts. We like to build in a lot of contingency planning. And when one or the other changes structurally, we can pivot and adapt. But what is drawn, uh, Kotar, why I'm so drawn to it is your discipline. But I wonder whether some investors are okay with your compound annual growth rate of 5% versus the drill baby drill days where that would be considered uh, too conservative. Well, we've got great assets, very low cost of supply. We have a long inventory, and we're going to achieve consistent, profitable growth. That's really what we're here to do. We're not here to be dead in the water and be zero growth. We're not going to go back to the heady days where we invested all of our cash flow and then borrowed money. Those days are gone. But for the disciplined company that can achieve consistent, profitable growth, still generate free cash flow, and do that through the cycles, we think that's the winning formula going forward in this commodity business. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, I, I was somewhat confused in your most recent commentary. You said that you have unbelievable assets in Anadarko. And the next thing I know, you have one rig there and you're drilling in New Mexico. Is there something I should know about New Mexico being big? <laughs> well, New Mexico, really, look, it's an embarrassment of riches. And, and I don't mean to be facetious. Whether it's Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma or Pennsylvania, we really have assets that generate a low cost of supply, and we can really have the luxury to pick and choose. Uh, sometimes it's driven by the market. Where can we get the best market net back? And other times it's driven by the geologic opportunities. But uh, we really like all four. They compete for capital heads up, and they're, it's a great portfolio. 
Is there enough takeaway capacity for natural gas in the Permian these days? I wonder sometimes whether you've got all that takeaway in Marcellus, just better to spend your money there. There's takeaway capacity. The, the doom and gloom that people forecast hasn't come to pass. There'll be additional capacity opening up later this year. So we think we're going to get through it without any serious bottlenecks. And if you have a really cold winter in Europe, would Kotara be able to benefit or are all the terminals filled up in the natural gas liquid natural gas in, in Texas and you would not be able to benefit? Well, it's become a global market. You know, with LNG export, a lot of what's happening overseas does echo back. So there, there would be a benefit to the U.S. producer. There'll be additional LNG opening up. And, and one of the things that would be a direct benefit, a cold winter and a, and a little more challenged storage story in Europe might motivate some Europeans to sign more long-term contracts, which would be a real boon to U.S. LNG and, and pricing generally. Well, that's terrific. And I just once again congratulate you for your discipline. You're doing exactly what this shareholder wants. It's like it's not like the old days where I have to worry that your cash flow won't meet your demands. Thank you so much to Tom Jordan, chairman, president and CEO of Kotara Energy. Good to see you again. Thanks, Jim. Always a pleasure. May I want to be back after the break. Coming up, does the economy have enough appetite to feed the builder's first source beast? Kramer starts construction on a thesis that could make you feel right at home. Next. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You don't need me to tell you about the shockingly persistent bull market in the home builders. I mean, these stocks have soared despite much higher mortgage rates because we've got a severe housing shortage in this country and a very low supply of existing homes for sale. They even held up well today despite the ugly tape. But maybe that was because we found out last night that Warren Buffett bought a couple of them for Berkshire Hathaway in the second quarter. Tonight, though, I want to highlight a lesser known housing play with the best performing stock in the group. 
It's called Builders First Source, which supplies the home builders with structural building products, components, related services, and they got no consumer exposure. They're all commercial, no DIY. Now, I've been getting a lot of calls about this one because the stock's been on a tear. Uh, while the S&P Home Builders ETF is up 63% from its lows 14 months ago, Builders First Source has nearly tripled over the same period. It's up 132% year to date. In fact, if you look back over the last five years, get this, the stock's been an even better performer than Kramer fave NVIDIA. <laughs> Builders First Source is coining money because they sell all of the major home builders plus smaller contractors and larger construction firms working on apartment buildings. Terrific business to be in when we've got a housing move. That's how this company grew its earnings from $3 per share in 2020 to $18.71 per share last year. That's like a tech company. Of course, there's more to this incredible outperformance than just the strength of the housing market. The home builders are doing great, too, but their stocks haven't tripled in the last 14 months. Builders First Source has a couple of other things going for it. First, back in early 2021, they merged with one of their main competitors. Always love, I always love that when you do that. BMC is an all-stock transaction. They made the combined company the top player in the space with a presence in nearly every major metropolitan market. Since then, these guys have made a series of smaller bite-sized acquisitions. They're in the process of rolling up the structural building products market. Nobody else has their scale, which makes them irreplaceable for the builders and also gives them a ton of bargaining power. They can buy a lot of mom and pop still. At the same time, Builders First Source has been pushing into higher margin, value-added products like trusses, wall panels, millwork. This is all more profitable than just selling stuff like lumber or copper wire. They also embrace technology technology to make it easy for their customers to place orders at any time of the day. Beyond the fundamentals, though, Builders First Source caught fire this year because the expectations were simply way too low. Remember, coming into 2023, many analysts and money managers thought that the economy would collapse under the weight of all these Fed rate hikes. I, I, I get that. That was the way the interest rate market was set up. Uh, housing was supposed to lead the way lower. Never happened. Sure, business took a hit. They're not doing as well as they were last year, but the company's in much better shape than Wall Street figured it'd be last summer. Now, it didn't help that late uh, last year, the old CEO, Dave Flitman, resigned abruptly, taking a new job as CEO of U.S. Foods. A lot of investors figured he was trying to leave on a high note before the whole industry came crashing down. Never thought, by the way, that a housing executive would be a natural for food distribution, but you learn something every day. And look, even Builders First Source wasn't exactly feeling confident earlier this year. When they reported back in late February, the company delivered a tremendous set of headline numbers, uh, huge earnings beat. But management also hit us with extremely cautious commentary about the year ahead. They didn't even issue a full year forecast, just warned of, quote, challenging conditions in housing amid elevated mortgage rates and general uncertainty in economic conditions, end quote. Not great, but also the prevailing view of Wall Street. Since then, though, Builders First Source has repeatedly blown away expectations. Looking back, I think this was a new CEO, Dave Rush, deliberately lowering the bar. It felt like classic UPOD to me. And remember, I always tell you that term that's under promise and over deliver. In early May, Builders First Source reported a massive revenue beat, coupled with an insane earnings number. They made $2.96 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $1.53. But once again, management refused to provide a full-year forecast. They even used the same boilerplate language about challenging conditions in housing and economic uncertainty. Their sales guidance for the next quarter came in light, too. However, investors have finally figured this one out, which is why the stock surged nearly 13% in a single session in response. And the stock kept running as Wall Street realized that the seemingly inevitable recession was not that inevitable at all. By the way, I felt a similar situation happened today with Home Depot, where things just weren't so bad. July was pretty good for them. The stock ended up up in a very bad day. First source, instead, well, they've got housing and without any of that DIY that Home Depot has. So the numbers, I think, are going to continue to be strong, stubbornly strong. Now, fast forward to two weeks ago, and the company reports yet another blowout quarter. 
Huge revenue beat, massive earnings beat. They made $3.89 per share. Analysts were only looking for $2.56 per share. This time around, Builders First Source felt finally confident enough to give us a full-year forecast, with every line of its outlook substantially above the consensus estimates. Now, you got to remember, everything in this business is relative to expectations, right? I mean, that's what we always try to do. The expectations, whether they've beaten, stock goes higher. Don't beat, stock goes lower. In absolute terms, Builders First Source is having a down year. Their earnings are on track to decline from nearly 19 bucks last year to just 13 bucks this year. Awful? Not so fast. In January, Wall Street figured this company was, could earn Six dollars and five cents per share in 2023. They're on track to more than double that number. Their housing supply business was supposed to evaporate, instead it just slowed. Kind of like the way Home Depot stock held up again, because professional housing repair and remodel is strong still. So, what do you do with builders for source after such an amazing move? I don't know. Let's look. We have to put all the factors in. For instance, we got a very negative home builder sentiment reading. Thanks largely to mortgage rates. They finally crept up above 7% in late July. They're going to go higher still, I think. Highest level since last October. Everyone thought this industry was toast. Builders for Source doesn't want to see weak home builder sentiment because those are their customers. If they build fewer houses, that means less business for the whole supply chain. That's why the stocks sold off slightly today, even as the actual home building stocks held up okay. Plus, when you consider the scale of the gains in Builders First Source, it makes sense that it could pull back. I mean, if only just for some profit-taking reasons. Frankly, if you own some of this one already, I mean, I think the smart move would be to take a little bit off the table. I mean, this thing is up so much. Maybe you sell some of your position so you're playing with the house's money. I always like that. But I am bullish on Builders First Source longer term because I think it can keep beating the numbers like it's done for the last 20 straight quarters. Plus, it's not like the stock's particularly expensive. It sells for just 11.5 times this year's earnings estimates. Might turn out to be even cheaper in retrospect if the company keeps surprising the upside. So I think it's worth buying Builders First Source. And I know that sounds odd after a very long day, but I would buy it even as mortgage rates continue to go higher. I suspect the Fed is almost done tightening. I think there could be two more hikes, which means mortgage rates could start getting cheaper in the not-too-distant future. At the very least, it might be a good idea to buy this one before it reports again in early November. Here's the bottom line from this, ver- this unique story. Builders First Source has caught fire of late because everyone assumed their business would collapse under the weight of the Fed's rate hikes. And instead, they're doing just fine, thanks to the endless resilience of the housing market and a very well-run company. Regular viewers know I hate the chase, and I think this one is due for a pullback. But man, I absolutely believe Builders First Source is worth buying into when you get to that weakness. The housing shortage in this country is real, it is severe, and it's not going to be solved anytime soon. And that is terrific for anybody who supplies to the home builders, including Builders First Source. Bill in Massachusetts. Bill! Hi, Jim. It's Bill from Weymouth, Massachusetts. I got to give you a quadruple booyah to you. Quadruple? That's a lot of booyahs to throw it's an, it Thank is. you very much, um, especially on a day where the Dow's down 360 points. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. Uh, I'm a two-year club member. Anyone listen, join the club. It's a blast. The alerts are intoxicating. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. We'll get Uh, the big meeting on Thursday. It's going to be terrific. I can't wait. Can't wait, really. Uh, I had a company here that I know you were talking very highly of before URI. Uh, They have a little debt with them. I believe it's 55%. Uh, If you could, I'd like to know your thoughts on URI. If you think it's a buy here or... Well, see, Bill, here's the the problem. First of all, thank you for being a a club member. And again, we do convene on Thursday at 12. I, here's my problem with recommending URI. It's up 35% for the year, and it's only a few points off its 52-week high in a market that has increasingly become a little more difficult. So I think I'd wait for this one to have a pullback uh, because it has just had too hot a run. And I do like the company very much. It used to come on all the time. 
How about Terry in Florida, please? Terry. Yes, sir, Mr. Kramer. Professor yes. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah back. I am looking at a small company, Archer Aviation, December ACHR. I'm very intrigued with them. I like their EV, um, uh, their, their technology with their planes and everything. everything. Right. So I'm one. You know, I need well, you. The problem analogy. is, and, and this is, you're absolutely right. The vertical takeoff is very exciting. Uh, and we've had a couple of stocks that have really gone crazy, just, you know, parabolic of late. We had one today. We had this uh, VinFast. It's not worth what it's selling for. But the problem is, is the company's losing a lot of money. And I have been against recommending stocks that are losing money hand over fist because I think when the market turns, I don't want to turn with it. I don't want to hurt people. Anyway. Uh, I absolutely believe in this first for, for builder's first source. I think it's worth buying into weakness. Much more made money. Wow. Norfolk Southern. Stock's down 10 straight days. This stock's living in the doghouse, right? I mean, holy cow. Is it time? Are there any reasons why investors should hold their nose and buy? I'm going to get the latest to the company's top brands. Then one of my rules for the road has always been that financial irregularities equals sell. But I have a new rule when it comes to selling that I think is important for any investor to know. I'll reveal what it is. And the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's dish of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. in June and July roaring. The cyclical smokestack stocks, including the heavy-duty transports, have been hit hard in recent weeks and worries the business might finally be slowing. Take Norfolk Southern, the big East Coast Railroad. When these guys reported late last month, they delivered a top and bottom line miss because of that huge train derailment in Ohio. We'll talk about that. And they lowered their four-year forecast. At the, at the time, Wall Street didn't seem to mind. The stock was down less than 1% in response. But since then, it's been hammered. The stock's now is now going down for uh, like ten straight days. This is the longest losing streak in more than twenty years. Today was particularly ugly. Stock down nearly three percent. Norfolk Southern presented the Deutsche Bank Transportation Conference. Management admitted that their business has had some operational hiccups in the past few weeks. They said July second half wasn't so good. How worried should we be, or is this the great opportunity that maybe I've been waiting for here? Let's check in with Alan Shaw, the president of Norfolk Southern, get a clearer picture of what's going on here. Mr. Shaw, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jeff, it's great to be here. We've made a lot of progress since you and I were together yes. in December. Okay, so first, let's just get something out of the way, because it's what everybody talks about. You had that terrible accident in Ohio. Uh, it obviously has uh, hurt people, and you're trying to do your best to try to bring in some admirals, a very loose way to be able to handle some guys you can't boss around, have come in and looked at it for you. What are they saying to you, and can you be insured for that kind of accident? Yeah, look, we, we said it was going to have an impact, and it has. It was really important that we've made progress. And I'm proud of the progress that we've made. I'm proud of the response in East Palestine. We're making promises and we're keeping promises. And I said, we're going to make a safe railroad safer. Last year, the number of derailments on Norfolk Southern was the lowest in two decades. We're going to be safer. So I looked outside the industry. I'm looking for inspiration. I want to be best in class. So we hired an admiral who used to run the nuclear Navy. I told him to put together a team to report directly to me as an independent consultant. So he's got multiple former admirals and a lot of folks with Navy nuke experience. Look, the Navy nuke program is the gold standard of safety in all of industry. And Norfolk Southern will be the gold standard of safety in the rail industry. So vinyl chloride, not necessarily nuclear, but what it it is is that if you ever had a nuclear spill, that'd be the worst in the world. So these guys really know uh, know the stuff for what happens in an accident. Yeah, they're... 
They're top-notch. I've been really impressed with what they've brought so far to us. They're going to be here for two to three years. We're investing in this. As you and I talked about in December, we're investing in the long-term success of NS, right? We're investing in locomotives. We're investing in service. We're investing in intermodal infrastructure. We're investing in technology because we're really targeting that $860 billion truck and logistics market. It's a it's a great opportunity for us, and we're going to unlock that growth opportunity on Norfolk South. Okay, now I like where you're located because nine out of ten states that are considered to be the best states in the union are your coverage area. What does that mean for your business? Yeah, you know, take a look at onshoring, right? Um, there's a massive investment in manufacturing in the United States. Right now, investment in manufacturing is up 75% year over year. And new factory builds right now are running 3x what they were 2010 to 2020. And they're happening in our service region, in the Southeast and in the Midwest. That gives us a lot of confidence going forward. It gives us the confidence to invest in our franchise. We've got a growth franchise, Jim, that faces the fastest growing segments of the U.S. economy. Okay, so uh, auto good, uh, international intermodal good, uh, e-com, terrific. Let's talk about e-com for a second, because when you have e-commerce, that means more business than just regular brick and mortar retail. Yeah, e-commerce is about three to four times more intermodal intensive than regular brick and mortar retail. You know, the classic view of e-commerce is that Amazon van or that UPS van doing the first mile, last mile through your neighborhood, what most people don't realize is that package that you ordered probably originated at a Norfolk Southern um, terminal in Chicago from a uh, warehouse there, went to a terminal in Atlanta on a Norfolk Southern train, went to a fulfillment center, and then UPS did the last mile. Well, if we just want to talk about what happened today or during this period, you did say at the Deutsche Bank conference, you said, now we took a step back in the second half of July. I'll admit, I'm not going to make any excuses. We're getting that fixed as well, and we're addressing it. What was the step back? You know, our, our service pulled back a little bit from where it had been. We had, we had promised to restore service. We've done it. We took a step back. We're on, we're on trajectory right now. I'm very confident in that. And frankly, what that gives us is it gives us the foundation to go talk to our customers about building Norfolk Southern into their long-term supply chain needs. We will use service as an enduring competitive advantage on Norfolk Southern. Now, I think people might listen and say, well, that's just, you know, so what? But they don't realize in the old days, that was not important to talk to your customers. You had rail, and if they brought it to you, good. And if they didn't, they took it on a truck, good. It's not like that anymore. You recognize the trucks are real, they're a real competitor, and you've got to beat them. Well, you got to beat them on service. Yeah, we're going to beat them on service. You know, we've got a cost advantage relative to truck. We're more sustainable from a carbon footprint relative to truck. We provide more capacity relative to truck. We're going to match truck on service, and we're going to layer on top of that, Jim, a best-in-class consumer-oriented experience for our customers. That's how we're going to win going forward. Our strategy is built on where markets are headed, and it's designed to win tomorrow. Okay, now, if I were a politician, uh, I know I could score points coming after a railroad where there was a uh, spill. I believe that I could say, listen, we've got to put more people on a train. Uh, That train was not safe. How about if you put three engineers on a train? How much more safe would that train be? You know, the NTSB report said the NS crew did everything they were supposed to do. And the track infrastructure was solid, and the hotbox detectors were doing exactly what they were supposed to do as well. 
it's going to take an industry-wide solution. I can tell you that Norfolk Southern offers a lot of benefits, you know, high-paying union jobs, sustainability. We invest in our own network. And so there's a, a lot of things that are important to politicians. But can you keep costs lower? Because if, you're, if your sales aren't going to be as good, we've got to have an operating ratio be better. Yeah, as, as our network speeds up, we will be able to shed costs. A faster railroad is a less expensive railroad. And at the same time, what we're seeing is that as our network has started to speed up, our year-over-year volume comps are outperforming the rest of the industry. Um, is there a manufacturing, a real manufacturing renaissance, or is that just hype? Man, what a, what a massive opportunity for us. Let's just talk about EV, right? There's been $70 billion in announced electronic vehicle investment in North America. Jim, about a third of that is on our lines, and we already serve more than 50% of U.S. light vehicle production. So this is a great opportunity because of our desirable geographic footprint of operating in the southeast and the Midwest. All right, one last question. Uh, Do you think a lot of the money, infrastructure money, has hit yet, or is there a big year coming in 2024 because of federal spend? I think there's more to come, right? And um, you can see that in our construction markets. We're sold out through the end of this year. Our customers are sold out through the end of this year, right? Factory builds are up 75%. That's what gives us a lot of confidence in the future. Jim, we're investing in the long term because we got confidence in our franchise, the U.S. economy, and the U.S. consumer. That makes a lot of sense to me that your stock's down 10 straight days. That seems like kind of an anomaly. But we have a stock market doesn't necessarily reflect what's going on long term at Norfolk Southern. That's Alan Shaw, CEO of Norfolk Southern NSC. You know I like the rails. I always have. And money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. I tell you about And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dash over the lightning round. I'm going to start with Joe in New York. Joe. Hey, Jim. Open door technologies. Since May, this stock more than tripled. Is it still a buy? No, I actually think it's a bit of a short squeeze. They're not making any money. And you know what? It's one of those situations where it can continue to go higher, but not for any fundamental reason. So I can't get behind it. Sam Messers is Sam. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um, you guys are doing a great job on the uh, investing club. I love oh, it. thank you, buddy. I know I, I talk about it a lot, maybe too much, but I do like it so much. What's going on? Um, I like to... Uh, take what I've learned on the club and uh, look for my own deals and um, I thought I had one and it's been a nightmare. What am I going to do with Nextera? You know, Nextera, which does, you know, a lot of, it does a lot of sustainable energy. You would think it would be as good as Constellation, which is the CEG kind. Uh, but no, the money's coming out of NE and going to Constellation. I think it should reverse itself, but it's not going to do it necessarily soon. Let's go to Edward in California. Edward. Hey, Kramer, great big booyah coming to you from Silicon Valley. Oh, fantastic. I love Silicon Valley. Got to go there soon. What's happening? Hey, uh, thanks for everything you do. The Investment Club Thank is you. awesome. Ah, you're terrific. Thank you. you. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I was wondering if you could give me your thoughts on CDS Health. 
Buy, sell, or hold. Well, you know, Karen Lynch is doing everything right. They're trying to move away from just brick and mortar to regular. They've been really big in healthcare, but the problem is, and it yields 3.3%. I'm not going to fight the stock here. I think at eight times earnings, 3.3%, I think it's fine. I don't think it's great, though. Why? Because of shrinkage, because of pilfers, because of those darn plastic things that are like in front of every single thing you want to buy because of the bell you have to ring in order to get it. And that's what turns me off to CVS. Let me throw in Walgreens, too. How about David in Nevada? David. I'm here, sir. Thank you for taking right, my David. call. I'm What's in, up? I'd like to know about ChargePoint Energy. No, ChargePoint's losing too much money. It's a commodity business. I do not want to touch it. Let's go to John in New York. John. Jim, big booyah here from South Shore, Long Island. There you go. What's up? Jim, call up Mexican airline Volaris. D-L-R-S. Now, I, I know Valeris very well, and I don't really care for it. I've got to tell you, I do like the Mexican peso, and I do like Mexico, but the stock has had too big a run, and most of the airlines are retreating, and I think that one is going to, too. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer adds a new hard and fast axiom to his rule book. Don't miss the big reveal that can help keep you sane when the going gets tough. Next. Got a couple of tough calls yesterday in the lightning round that hit too close to home. 3M and J&J. Yeah, a pair of great American companies. Yeah, I told you to sell, sell, sell. And both. So today I want to spend a little more time explaining why I think this, these stocks have become borderline untouchable. And I'm going to throw in a third, by the way, Bausch Health, for good measure. Full disclosure, when I told people to sell 3M and J&J yesterday, I did so very reluctantly. Now, we own J&J for the Chapel Trust for ages. And I was planning to talk about the trust sale of the company's shares at the next investing club meeting at noon on Thursday. That's why I go over each stock in the portfolio. I think it deserves more airtime, though, because this is a real big deal for me to change my view here. But first, let's start with 3M. That's an iconic American company, Dow component, yet the stock's been a slaughterhouse because of all the litigation risk. Recently, 3M settled a lawsuit over water spoilage from its so-called forever chemicals. The company would pay at least $10.3 billion to water providers in reparations. Not as bad as it sounds because it'll be paid over many years. I was hoping that would put an end to 3M's legal nightmare, but there are plenty more plaintiffs out there. Water spoilage can cause bad illness, so I doubt we've seen the end of that. That, I don't begrudge anybody who's suing a big company over groundwater contamination. That's a great reason for a lawsuit, right? But the nature of our tort system means that any outstanding litigation can really, really take a company apart. Yeah, we got slot machine justice in this country. Maybe you lose your case and get nothing. Maybe you settle for a nice sum. But if you win, you could potentially hit the jackpot. Get a truly insane amount of money. When that story is reported, the stock gets crushed. This is a unique feature of our legal system. There are very few limits on the defendant's liability. That means big lawsuits are risky for a company like 3M, especially when the plaintiffs are sympathetic, like the 250,000 veterans who are suing them for faulty earplugs that have caused hearing problems. Now, these suits have been consolidated in one multi-district court. 3M tried to avoid big losses by having the appropriate subsidiary file for bankruptcy. That got shut down by the court system. The court wants settlement talks. Now, look, as someone who's battled tinges for years, the prevailing damage these veterans are claiming, I can tell you that it's a very difficult disease to live with. I'm so invested in this thing. I've actually got a patent on a drug that I think can lower the sound for some victims. I haven't tried to stem the noise because it can cause severe debilitation. And that's why I think this case could be real bad for 3M. 
Even though my late father used to rep 3M and Philly and love the company, even though I think this dividend aristocrat is a great company, I'm too worried about potential litigation over these combat earplugs to go near this one. How about Johnson Johnson? All right, this one's about the talc lawsuits. Tens of thousands of plaintiffs have linked J&J's old talc baby powder with asbestos that can cause cancer. Now, we own J&J for the Chapel Trust and finally sold it after a small gain. We battled it for ages. Right now, I think the share price may be inflated by its Kenview subsidiary's distribution. Just take my word for it. That's, it's a big arbitrage situation. It ends this week. It's obscuring the risk of the talc lawsuits. When the smoke clears, I bet the stock gets hammered again, though, because this is not the kind of case you want to fight in court. But J&J's, their hands are tied. Both 3M and J&J have won many of these suits. But there are more coming and more and more. So even though J&J is one of my favorite companies with tremendous prospects, both for its drug and medical device division, I didn't fancy staying around betting on one that's jackpot justice. I told the caller the other day to sell because I genuinely fear the power of plaintiffs to extract billions of dollars from this great company. Whether or not you think they deserve to win, you definitely want to be one of the, one of the shareholders. Uh, you don't want to be one of the shareholders who winds up footing the bill, and you want to be one of these, well, one of these plaintiff's lawyers that knows their way around the system. Again, I hate playing litigation roulette. We got suckered into buying Bausch Health for the Travel Trust because the former management team misjudged both the patent lawsuit and its biggest drug and potentially a very damaging case brought by aggressive shareholders seeking to block the sale of their Bausch and Loam subsidiary. Something needs to happen to save this company. In the end, I like to bet on businesses, not on lawsuits, okay? Especially when the plaintiffs are highly sympathetic, which is the case with the J&J people and with the 3M people. And that's why the Chapel Trust won't own 3M and J&J and why we regret being snookered by Bausch Health. I used to say financial regularities equals sell when I started my trust. Now I'm adding a big multi-plaintiff's lawsuit equals sell to my caveated brain. Thanks to the way our legal system works, the risks, they're just too enormous to own these kinds of stocks anymore. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries want its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Ecucinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.